It's time for The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly conversation about bicycles, cyclists, trails, travel, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast at OutspokenCyclist.com or through your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. And welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. Thanks for tuning in today. As promised, my conversation is with one of the pioneers of women's frame design, Georgina Terry. I've known Georgina for many years, and it is always great to speak with her. She started out as an engineering student in Pittsburgh and took that engineering mind of hers into the bicycle business in 1985, launching Terry Precision Bicycles. Over these many decades, she not only produced her very special women-specific designs, but added saddles, shorts, jerseys, and more. In fact, I would suggest that almost everyone who has been riding for the past several decades has had at least one Terry saddle, women and men alike. Today, Georgina is still offering her special bikes to discriminating riders, and as she says on her website, quote, I hope I'm part of a movement that encourages women to think for themselves, to be stubborn, to break the rules, and not be afraid to be a pain in the butt sometimes. Susan B. Anthony did, and it turned out pretty well for her, end quote. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, Georgina. Welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for being my guest. Wow, it's been years since you and I spoke. It has been. So it's nice to have this little reunion. <laughs> it is. Great. And we actually get to see each other now with this new Zoomy technology. So that's really good. And I'm sure we both look exactly the same, don't we? We do. We do. Yeah. We're both still young and beautiful and no silver hair or anything like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's a good thing that it's a podcast. People aren't looking at us. They're only listening. I agree. Yeah, Yeah. that's why I've got my old sweatshirt on. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, (laughs) my glasses are on my head. You know, I've known you for a long time and I know a lot about your background, but I'm not sure my listeners do. So could you just like, let's rewind and go back and uh, talk about your background, how you decided to get into the bicycle business, where you went to school and all of that? All right. Well, I guess you would have to say that my interest in bicycling started when I was living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is where I went to school to Chatham College and Carnegie Mellon University. And I I mean, I biked as a kid when I was 12 years old. I got my first bike and all that kind of stuff. And like every other kid, you kind of forget about it when you're 17 or 18 because the car comes into your life. But for some reason, I picked it up again while I was in Pittsburgh and got a bicycle, started riding it around, loved it, joined the bike club there, the Western Pennsylvania Wheelmen, and such a great group of people, so welcoming. You know, I showed up for the first ride in my jeans and t-shirt, slowly but surely, they got me into a helmet, then they got me into the shorts, and, you know, a year later, I was like totally Miss Bicycling. But since I was studying mechanical engineering at Carnegie Mellon, I just kind of you know, I learned all I could learn about bicycle mechanics from an incredible dealer in Pittsburgh, Jerry Cranick, Cranick's Bike Shop. 
But Jerry didn't know how to build frames. And I kept thinking, you know, it'd be really neat to build a bicycle frame. I wonder how you do that. So job kind of interfered. I got a job at Xerox here in Rochester, which brought me here. And uh, again, the thoughts of probably because I was bored at work and daydreaming, the thoughts of, you know, building a bicycle just got back into my mind again. So I just started doing a little research and, you know, thinking about frame geometry, finding somebody who knew how to braise and, and getting him to teach me the basics of it. And essentially just kind of set myself up in my basement and first started building frames for myself. Then that, that kind of grew from there. I think I was interested in my bike because I'm pretty small, about 5'2". And I had the smallest Schwinn bicycle with the top tube. And all top tubes back then were horizontal, by the way. Nothing sloped. Right. <laughs> so it was always an issue trying to find a bike that you could stand over. you know. And I was thrilled when Schwinn finally introduced a 19-inch frame. Uh, unfortunately, it had a 12-inch bottom bracket height. But from that bicycle, I learned how to make geometry work and how to make it work against you. So that was kind of my first experience with that. And about the same time, I ran into Bill Boston at one of the big rallies, the Nears, the Gears, the Fears, the whatever they were. It's fantastic <laughs> rallies. And, and Bill Boston, if you remember, was building bikes with small front wheels for both men and women if his riders were smaller. He was the one who really got that idea to catch on. And, and I said to him, you know, with all the investigation into geometry I've done, there is no way to make this bike shorter in the reach, smaller in the standover height without a smaller front wheel. So would you mind if I took your design and used that on my own bikes? And he said, God, no, do it so that people will accept this. Although that design has been around since the 1880s, believe it or not. Track bikes, interestingly. So I have a question that is going to fast forward a little bit, but I don't want to forget it. And that is once people decided to go away from the horizontal top tube and longer head tubes and that kind of thing, did that impact? Because you also made bikes with the same size wheels. I remember there were there was That's a right. model um, yep. and there were models that had smaller front wheels. But would that have changed your thinking back then? No, it wouldn't have changed my thinking at all, because I think the fallacy of the sloping top tube is sometimes it makes a rider think a bike fits when it doesn't because she can straddle it. So it must fit, right? <laughs> it doesn't address the length. No, I don't think it would have changed anything. I think I would have said, okay, let's do it, but let's do it right. <laughs> How about 650 wheels? How has that changed things? That's changed things a lot. I never really got into 650 in a super deep way, thank goodness. But it, to me, it's just, you know, another thing that's darn frustrating about our industry that we will lead people down one path and now you've got all these people who own bikes with 650 wheels and it's harder and harder to find tires for them and you can't find anything you know over 23 or 25 millimeters in width it's just why did we do that and and what tire is going to come under attack next <laughs> it's just scary well you have to look at the industry as a whole at it being so tunnel visioned you know, yeah. up at up at the top. Well, if you're not racing, you know, the the up duez, maybe we don't want to make a bike for you. Yeah. And and you can see that. I mean, not to jump ahead again, we get into it later, but you can see it now in groups that are coming out that are offered by by the big guys and and the choices and gearing that's taken away from a lot of people. Right. Exactly. 
exactly. And of course, well, we could go on and on about that mm-hmm. <laughs> and on and on. So um, you didn't just get into the bicycle business building bikes, which is, I think, really an interesting thing. You actually made apparel, uh, saddles, gloves. Um, you, you know, you could be a, a Terry dealer. Right. And so yeah. everything was geared toward women. Did men buy your did men buy your bikes though? No, but they bought our saddles because we made men and women saddles. That's true. That is true. That was, that was an easy one to appeal to. Yeah, we still so my husband still sells your saddles. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I mean that part of your company is is a different thing now, a different right. entity, but those saddles are still out out there. And I probably rode a Terry Butterfly saddle for oh man. 20 years, I finally yeah. got talked into a Brooks. <laughs> ah, it's funny because I ride Terry and I ride Brooks. Yeah. And I keep saying, what does that say about my rear end that I'm equally happy on a super hard saddle and a nice cushy saddle? Something's wrong here. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's really our brains and not our rear ends at all. That could be. <laughs> let, let me take a moment to reintroduce you and then we're going to get on with some of the other things I want to talk about. We're speaking with Georgina Terry, and if you don't know her, she is a pioneer in our business. She had a line of bikes. Well, it has a line of bikes, uh, Georgina Terry Bikes. She made saddles that you probably know and have. Most of my listeners are not young and uh, have been around long enough to have at least tried one of your saddles. Shorts, great shorts, um, gloves. Uh, jerseys. So, it, you know, the the whole thing, you could be a Georgina Terry model if you wanted to be as, as a woman. So tell me a little bit about your thinking when you build bikes, not just about the geometry, but also about materials and why you chose steel and why you still think it's viable. <laughs> Well, I I chose steel because you can't live in Pittsburgh for a significant length of time and not really be converted to steel. I mean, you were surrounded by steel city. I I still build with steel. I mean, I do use carbon forks occasionally on my designs, but I just, it's so nice to work with. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful product. It has a terrific lifespan. You can't say that really about aluminum or carbon fiber. You can't about titanium for sure, but that's, you know, That's another jump altogether. Yeah, I just, you know, steel is just kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, And certainly when I first started learning how to build frames, it was much easier to learn with steel than it would have been with aluminum. Carbon fiber didn't really play into the picture at that time. And there's still some terrific steels that are offered. So it's not like you're you're getting some clunker of a bike. It's true. Today's thin-walled, high-quality steel. Yeah, air-treated steel, air-hardening. I mean, it's... uh, The bikes are light. Yeah. So are you still... Now, R&E is building your frames now? Yes, they are. We ride an R&E built tandem. All right. They do a ton of stuff. It's amazing. They've got their fingers in a lot of pies, which is good. Let's talk a second about Waterford and what happened. Okay. So Richard decided to retire, rightly so. Um, And I know he isn't building your frames now, but he has built frames for you in the past. Oh, a long time in the past. We first started an association with Richard probably around 2007. Right. I was at Terry. And and 
I sold Waterfords back at City Bike back in the late or the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. That's when he created that brand. And Gunner. Right. And Gunner. Right. Well, I, Richard and I just had a conversation and we talked about the day we came up with the Gunner. He came up with the Gunner name and launched the, the dog. <laughs> yeah, the do- Right. The dog. I got to see that puppy when she brought him home. She brought him through Cleveland because she picked him up on the East Coast. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a beautiful, he was a beautiful little dog. Anyway, okay. so does somebody need to take that place? Is there a hole in the market now? I, I don't know that there's really a hole because there there are a lot of other companies that are doing things like that. I mean, certainly I found out about those companies after Waterford announced that they weren't going to be building anymore. I went on the search and it led me to a lot of places, ultimately R&E, but uh, you can look at Vicious Cycles on the East Coast, Yeah, does contract building all the time. Belenke does, Steve Belenke down in Philadelphia as well. Comotion can do it. They're really backed up right now, yeah. but they're capable of doing it. And then there's some neat little cottage industry businesses like Lunchtime Bike Company out in Portland. If you want a woman to build your frame, she's right there at lunchtime. But again, they do contract business as well. So it's really a matter, I think, of just kind of searching things out and talking to people and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think what you miss with Waterford is knowing that you are part of the heritage of the Schwinn Paramount. I mean, I don't think Richard wants to say, yeah, yeah, I'm Paramount. But let's face it, that factory, you know, just always appealed to me because it built Paramounts. And like any person riding in the 80s, I lusted after a Paramount. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we know there are a lot of them still out there. Well, he has the provenance of all of them. He's trying to figure out what to do with them, some of that stuff. So yeah, I, do know yeah. that. I do know that. So how are people finding you? Now, of course, we have social media, and I'm sure you're you're doing something like that. But right, right, right. you used to sell to to shops, which yeah. was which was uh I it's always a dicey thing. I know about that. But what about now? What are you doing now? Now I uh, I have a nice website, GeorginaTerry.com where I promote the bikes. I I do do social media on Instagram and Facebook. I don't do it personally because stuff like that just makes me crazy. I have a a media person who writes all those really cool little things that are on Instagram. (laughs) That takes care of that. But I think my reputation is really carrying me quite away because there are a lot of women who say to me, you know, I've known about you for years. I've always wanted a Terry bike. And I'm retiring now. I'm ready. I've got the money. Let's go. Uh, And certainly having Terry Bicycles, it's still Terry Bicycles in Burlington, my old company, that's free advertising for me because I'm the person behind that company. And I don't think anybody's ever forgotten that. So everything they do is good for what I'm doing and vice versa, I would say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. How's your client finding you, your new client? You know, every client who comes to me always seems to say, I've always known about you. It's always been in the back of my head. Isn't that interesting? And, I, and I've said to myself, you know, one day I want to get a Georgina Terry bicycle. You know, occasionally someone will see someone on a ride, a women's ride or whatever, or they'll watch my YouTube videos. I've got a bunch of videos on YouTube about how to design bikes, frame geometry, and that that catches a lot of people's eyes as well. You know, that 
tells me a lot about your client because women tend to remember things. <laughs> True. I, 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 not to disparage men, but men don't listen for the most part. <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you knew about you, then you'll remember about you now. And, and I, I really uh, appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Let's take a short break and we'll be back to talk with Georgina Terry some more. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks, and we're talking with women's bicycle frame designer, Georgina Terry. What do you think the future for the steel bike is? I think it's great. Do you? <laughs> yeah. But but where I see its future being really good is in custom builds. I mean, when you just start going through the people, say, who were showing their bikes at the recent made show or somewhere like that, gosh, the a lot of those bikes are made out of steel or titanium. Uh, so I don't think it's going to die. It will die for sure with some of the big manufacturers, I think, because there's probably a bigger profit margin in aluminum and even in carbon fiber. Um, so, you know, and to them, I think uh, steel is just so old fashioned. They don't really want to be associated with steel, maybe. Well, I know that. So my husband was on a, a Grand Fondo with a brand new Waterford <laughs> TIG uh, from the and coming down one of those big mountains, somebody goes, look at that classic bike, meaning look at that old classic bike. And he's like, I just built this <laughs> three weeks ago, yeah, you know, so yeah. that people have this vision of steel being an old material. What do you think would uh, elevate it to something new now or something? Well, let me ask you, who has that vision? Is it all men or all women or is it equal between the two? I think I think it's a snob effect to some extent of somebody who's been in bicycling a long time and he knows all about it. And he says that if you're getting a new bike, it should be carbon fiber. It shouldn't be steel. Ah, steel is old fashioned. But I don't run into that with women. I've never had a woman say to me, can you do this in carbon fiber? I really don't want steel. I've had people say to me, can you do titanium? But, sure. You sure. Know, but I, I'm not getting that vibe about steel at all. And, you know, I think maybe certainly in the back of my mind as a rider, there's always the feeling that this baby, meaning this bike, the one underneath me right now, ain't going to let me down. I can crash it, bend it. As long as the wheels are turned, it's going to get me home. That is so true. People don't realize how um, reliable a material it is. Mm -hmm. It is. that. That's a really good point. Who's paint? Is R&E painting your frames too, or are you sending yeah. them out? Yep, they sure are. They're doing the whole thing for you. Huh? Yeah, that's a, you know, it, it's hard if they don't, because then you've got to find a painter and a bare frame's got to be shipped to the painter. Da, 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 da. Too much Mickey Mouse. So uh, they're building to your design? Oh, yeah. Every bike I build is a custom bike. Well, that was going to be my one. next question. It's all one-off. Yeah, totally one-offs, because everybody's a little bit different. You know, I mean, maybe they're only different by five millimeters, but they're still different. Right, 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 right. <laughs> what right. the heck? <laughs> well, exactly. And if that's what you're, that's what you're buying is that light. It's like buying a custom suit. It only fits yeah. you. 
So that brings up something that's come up for us uh, recently, and I'm not sure how to how to deal with it. And that is today's bike, that custom bike. What happens, and we've had this happen, when somebody passes away, you, that bike doesn't really work for anybody else. Well, it might with some changes, you know. Yeah, it might. Because it depends on how close the person who's getting it is to the person who's leaving it. But but that takes a very studied eye. That takes somebody who understands how that works. Yeah. I'm a fitter. You're a fitter. My husband's a designer. You're a designer. You know if A will fit B and B will fit C. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think a part of that is is having a really good fitter to discuss things with. You know how much fitting has changed since oh, yeah. we got into the business. I mean, oh, yeah. it used to be like three or four rules. You pass those rules, the bike fit. And and now you need a PhD to fit a bike almost. So <laughs> or do you need 30 or 40 years of experience? Yeah, exactly. Now, if you fit thousands of bikes, it's a whole different thing or hundreds right. of bikes. When I sell a bike, included in the price of that bike is a professional fitting. I mean, I'll ask for some basic information and get a gist of what's going on, but I I am not the one to do that fitting. I have a list of, of some great fitters across the country I work with. And that comes back in spades. You know, you pay a fortune for those fittings, but whoa, does it save you a lot of hassle in the long run? Well, it, on both ends, both the yeah, client exactly. and was the designer. Sure. I was on a ride in Israel and uh, my husband and I were on the ride in Israel. And then the next time I went, one of those riders who lives in Israel wanted to have a bike built and he had a leg, one leg that didn't exist. And needed, he was a really good cyclist. And so uh -huh. I had to do all these measurements while I was there. And then and then Brian and I happened to meet up with him in New York. And then we were able to actually design that bike and ship it to Israel. So isn't that cool? It wow. is very cool. And you know, yeah. it makes you feel really, really good when somebody comes back to you. And I know you hear this all the time. This is the coolest bike I've ever ridden. This yeah. is the best bike I've ever ridden. What yeah. could be better? Yeah. That's what it's all about. <laughs> it is. So how many models, I know that's kind of a weird question because it may not be that you do models, but how many models, how many types of bikes are you building these days? I only build one, actually. I used to have about three or four different models. You know, one was more of a touring bike, one was more of a this or that. And then I just collapsed them all into one bike that I call Gale Force. And, you know, I don't, I don't do off-road or mountain or anything like that. So so Gale Force can be really anything. Do you want a touring bike? Do you want an adventure bike? Do you want a gravel bike? She covers a lot of bases. And what size tire are you looking at width-wise? It, de it depends on the bike. So range these days for most riders, 28 usually at the, at the thinnest up to a 50. Okay, so here comes my perennial question. I ask it to every builder I know and every every custom designer I know. What do you think about disc brakes on road bikes? <laughs> I think it's a personal preference, to tell you the truth. I think a lot of it depends on what kind of riding you do. I mean, if you like, I do a lot of riding every year. I ride about 6,000 miles, but I don't ride in rain. And as far as terrain goes these days, I'm not into really steep downhills and that kind of thing. So I'm totally comfortable with a caliper brake. I don't, I, there's there's a lot of overhead that goes with disc that I don't want to mess with personally. 
the flip side of it is that DISC has really gotten the reputation of being really, really safe. It works in wet weather and dry weather. The feeling of it is really, really nice. And it can handle a ton of different situations. And so I think if a rider feels more comfortable with that, then I'm perfectly happy. And I got to tell you, 90% of the bikes I'm doing now are DISC. Yeah. I, I mean, you have almost no choice. In, in calipers, number one, you're limited yeah. calipers. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you have Paul and you have maybe a couple others, but then you have to overbuild your forks. You have to overbuild your front end. You have to right. do some things to make it work. Right. So right. are you compromising anything by doing that? By by doing offering disc or not offering disc? By offering disc? I don't feel that we're really compromising anything. Most of the time, if I'm... Most of my bikes, I think, as I said, use carbon fiber forks. And so they're fairly light to begin with. And what's going on in the rear end really isn't all that different. But the hassle of it is you you think there are a lot of choices. You know, what is the dropout going to look like? What is the derailleur hanger going to look like? What are SRAM specs? What are Shimano specs? Are we doing flat mount? Are we doing post mount? Man, I spend more time fiddling around with that stuff than I do with anything else. And then I mean, bleeding just, hydraulic brakes. Yeah, you know, exactly. And and talking to my dealers going, my God, I have to turn this GRX bike upside down to bleed the brakes. <laughs> it's, right, right. It's not a, a friendly thing for the consumer. The other thing I like about calipers, they're so easy to work on. I know exactly what's wrong, what works, all that stuff. Right. But right. a lot and of women just don't want to mess with it. So fine. That's good too. And then you have through axles, which oh are God. <laughs> see, I did get you on that one. Good. Yeah, I feel yeah. the same way. It's sort of like, you know, you defeat the whole purpose of the simplicity of the bike with quick release wheels and lightweight and calipers and rim brakes. And really? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is. You know, remember nine speed when you could interchange between road and mountain groups and everything talked to each other and it was a wonderful world and you could get incredible gearing too. You can make choices like, you know, you want a 22 inch gear. No problem. We can do that. Right. You can't do that anymore. And it's just moved up from 10 to 11 to 12 and can't be now with 13. Yep. And now it's one by and it's 42 yep. tooth cassettes and it's like, Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's Shimano crazy. just came out with a 1051 12 speed in their GRX group. Uh, did you know that Shimano also said they're bringing back a 105 mechanical group? Really? In 12 speed. Today they announced it. Yeah. Today was when they announced their GRX mechanical. And with an interesting quote from Shimano saying, we think more of our customers want to go mechanical than electronic. Meanwhile, SRAM, on the other hand, is get this mechanical stuff out of here. We're totally electronic. And, you know, that just means one more thing. Oh, I got to check the charge on my, on my uh, battery. (laughs) Really? I just want to pump up my tires and get on my bike. That's right. You know, the only thing I want to see, I'd like to know how fast I'm going and what time is it and how far am I going? That's it. Right, 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 (laughs) right, right. I don't even need that GPS stuff. So um, if somebody calls you up or gets on your site and says, Georgina, I want you to build me a bike. How long are they going to wait? They are going to wait right now since I've been with R&E and since components are much more uh, readily available. I'd say we're looking at about two months. That's not bad. 
which isn't bad at all. RNA is building really, really fast. And I think that may even come down as we get to know each other a little bit more right now. The two of us are just treading lightly. You know, it's like the first dance kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, I think we got the last Bushnell out of RNA. Oh, did you really? Yeah, we did. I'm pretty wow. sure that our frame was the last one. So yeah, and I, re- I just love this bike. It's awesome. And then we sent it to Blinky for uh, couplers last year. Oh yeah, yep, yep. Why? You know, Perfect. we started. We were going to do it to begin with, and then we didn't because we wanted it sooner. I don't know. I don't remember. I just know <laughs> that I love the bike. Well, um, so what do you think the future? is for people like you and me as we begin to look at the word retirement what's going to happen are you going to retire heck no (laughs) (laughs) me neither here i am doing this podcast i feel like as long as i'm healthy and i'm happy doing this i i love doing it because every single bike is different they're never the same and the same it goes for the customer as well and i get to work with new shops meet new dealers find new fitters around the country it's uh, it's really terrific. I love it. I wouldn't want to do anything else. How many dealers do you have? I do. I, when I say dealers, I mean dealers that customers go to, not ones that carry my bikes. But right. I would say probably over maybe 120 or so over the over the history of the company and the number of bikes that I've sold. You know, some have been repeat because of the metropolitan areas they're in, so it just makes more sense. Right. Sure. That's great. It's just, it's nice too, to be able to call a dealer I've never worked with and say, hi, this is Georgina Terry. And immediately I'm able to talk to them. It's not like, okay, who are you? What are you doing? What are we talking about here? (laughs) As I said, right at the beginning, iconic, you know, people do know you, you are, you are the doyen of our, of our business when it comes to, uh, and I would think that other women who are looking to get into the custom builders with business building business would look to you. Has that happened? Actually, not in a big way. It's happened with a few smaller builders, but you know, I'm my phone's not ringing every day from other women who want to speak to me. So that doesn't really. I, I've never thought about that until you mentioned it. I wonder why that's happening. <laughs> well, it's just a thought that if you look at the list of, if we were to say there was such a list, and I think there is, somebody was doing a research study on custom frame builders. And you look at the number of women, of course, it's extremely small. You yeah. know, we represent like 0. 0.0 whatever. But I'm wondering, are you doing any teaching? If somebody were to come to you and say, hey, Georgina, I want to know what you know. Can you teach me? I have this either engineering bent or engineering background or whatever. Yeah, I would certainly be happy to do that. I haven't had anyone approach me about that. Somebody may be interested more in frame geometry. One of the things that's happening on the building side is you're more and more likely to see a TIG bike than a lug bike. Right. And I have no experience with TIG whatsoever. You know, well, I never got into it when I started because frankly, I, TIG is okay, but but nothing's quite like the look of a really nice lugged frame. And I think lugged frames have kind of gone by the wayside, but TIG is. And, and I'll tell you, the other thing too is with geometry kind of getting really crazy with the sloping top tubes and things like that, these angles are changing. Right. And so now where are you going to find a lug in a whatever degree angle? But with TIG, it doesn't matter. You just miter the thing and take it. 
Right. So are you designing for TIG? I don't design for TIG because it doesn't matter what I'm designing for. It can work with lugs or TIG, assuming the angles are right. But every builder, I mean, Waterford, Waterford would do lug, but really, really expensive. And I'm sure R&E would do the same. So everything is basically TIG. Yeah. And since the world is used to looking at TIG now, it doesn't look like a bargain basement bike like it did to me in the 80s. Right. Right. You know, we would look at that and it was like, oh, we just put two pipes together and well, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. No, I totally remember. I do remember. <laughs> I do. Well, it's like the Kmart special. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last thing I want to talk about is the future of bicycles as they relate to climate. Have you thought about that at all? I haven't thought about a lot because to me it's pretty straightforward the more people we can get on bikes and out of cars the better off we are and i also think because i think i've i've noticed this in myself that i wasn't a really avid environmentalist until i started bicycling and once i started riding then i became really aware of things like flora and fauna and birds and weather and all of that which kind of led me naturally into thinking more about the environment. It's uh, so I think it has, you know, it plays both ways. And the other thing is, I think when you really get into bicycling, if you want to use it for commuting, you begin to realize how much more your community could be doing that it's not doing. And you just become, I think, politically more active about that kind of thing. Right. Well, you know what? It's been wonderful to catch up with you and um, we will put, the website information up on our outspoken cyclist oh good then we'll promote it on our social media for sure that's great well georgina it's great to talk with you we go to new york all the time but we never take 90 we take 86 (laughs) (laughs) our relatives are are like on that part of the southern yeah yeah. well if you're ever on 90 let me know (laughs) i will thank you so much for taking time to talk with me thanks it was great to talk to you again diane take care you too Bye. bye My thanks to Georgina for taking time to catch up with me. It was so much fun. For more information about Terry Custom Bicycles and Georgina herself, log on to GeorginaTerry.com. Next time on The Outspoken Cyclist, you'll meet Veronica Davis, another woman pioneer, this time in the field of urban planning. Her book, Inclusive Transportation, is subtitled A Manifesto for Repairing Divided Communities. I hope you'll tune in. Remember, you can find links, photos, and a transcript of the show at OutspokenCyclist.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. As the world continues to struggle with so many problems on so many fronts, I hope you will find time to get out on your bike and let the fresh air help clear your mind. Stay well and stay safe. Bye-bye. Joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page. Or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news from the world of cycling.
Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.